May 25th, 2011, the Oprah Winfrey Show aired for one last time. Uh, this was the end of 25 years of a lady who stepped out onto the stage and was number one for many years in a TV talk show. She started with talk radio in Chicago in 1984 and quickly became a sensation, taking her nationwide and receiving her own show. And the rest, as they say, is history. It said that she stopped submitting the show for Emmy consideration in 2000 after winning 47 Daytime Emmy Awards. It's no wonder that she was referred to as America's pastor. And so maybe you are familiar with the Oprah Winfrey show. You would come home and around four o'clock, Oprah was on. And she had a variety of topics that they would discuss and she was prepared to answer all types of questions and offer advice and always worked hard not to offend anyone. She wanted to keep the peace Everyone was brought into the conversation. She does have this warmth about her. She has this beautiful smile. She is engaging, and many people trust her advice. But there was one question that she did not readily have an answer for. One day on her show, film critic Gene Siskel asked her, What do you know for sure? At first, Oprah thought, he was referring to a movie, but then realized he was simply asking her, what do you know for sure? Oprah did not have an answer. She stumbled her way through that question. She was caught off guard and had to go home and think about it. Here's a woman with such powerful influence and the simple question, what do you know for sure? was too tough for her to answer that day. What about you? What do you know for sure? Without a doubt, absolute for sure. In this passage today, we will see that God is sure. There are no doubts in who God is, how God acts, how God thinks, how God calls, he is most sure. And when we look here in Judges, we're going to look to a man named Gideon. You may be familiar with this story, and we're going to highlight different points of this passage, actually five of them today. Here they are. God is sure, even when the time does not seem relevant. And God is sure to equip the called. God is sure to bring us peace. God is sure to save us from our idols, and God is sure even when we struggle to be sure of him. So we're going to be in Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 11. And if you want to turn there with us, if you do not have a Bible, look in front of you in the pew Bible there, and you can turn to page 205, and you will be right there with us. Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 11, and our first point what we refer to once again is God is sure even when the time does not seem relevant. Read with me in verses 11 through 13. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizurite. 
while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. How often do we commit both of Gideon's mistakes that we see here in these verses that we just read? The first one being, why am I going through these troubles? Instead of looking to God and asking, how are you working in the midst of my troubles? In Romans 8, 28, we read that, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And so if God is working together things that are for good, according to his purpose, calling us into this, then we must ask him, how are you working in the midst of our troubles? Many times we turn it around and we say, why do I even have these troubles in my life? And then the second one, when is God going to do something about these troubles? Okay, I get that I'm going to have troubles, but how long are you going to allow these troubles to continue? When, God, are you going to do something about these troubles instead of God use me in the midst of my troubles? Right now, you may have troubles in your life. You are struggling. You are dealing with this either internally behind closed doors or it's pretty open and people know about it. But either way, you're going through a difficulty And you may be asking the question, how much longer do I have to deal with this? How much longer do I have to be in this phase of life? Do I have to go through this current struggle? But the right question would be to say, okay, God, how will you use me in the midst of these troubles right now? Gideon is an example of those who know what God has done in the past, who have memorized the stories of God's faithfulness, but find them irrelevant in light of modern day crisis. And this is 3,000 years ago. So when you're having conversations with people today and they go, I just don't think that God is relevant. Yeah, that's great what he did back then, but it doesn't really apply to today. Well, let's go back 3,000 years ago and Gideon was basically saying the same thing. That it was great what you did in the past, God, but now is different. God, that was kind of the old time religion when things were black and white. Now everything is in color. It's moving rapidly around us. We will not slow down for seven years. We have been under the rule of the Midianites. They come, they take all of our stuff, and then they leave. And every time they come, we have to go hide in the caves. This is not the same scenario, God, as it was for the people that you delivered out of Egypt. Our situation's much different. Maybe God's just not relevant for that time period. But today is no different from what God has done in the past. Whatever you're facing right now and you're thinking, is God still the same God that he's always been? The answer is yes. And we go to scripture for this affirmation. Revelation 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. 
says the Lord God, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Isaiah 44, 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. So if God is not the same, then he is not God indeed. And if there is not God indeed, there are no gods. There's no one to put our hope and trust in. He is the only one. He created us. We did not fashion him with our hands, with our minds, with our hearts. We did not come up with this idea of God. God created us. And he has not changed. He has remained the same through all of our circumstances throughout history. So God does not change with the times and he definitely does not get lost in time, even though we live in a rapidly changing culture, God remains the same. He's the same as he has always been. So God is sure, even when the time does not seem relevant. Number two, God is sure to equip the called. So two struggles that we have, we address immediately here. Is God still relevant for today? Can he really help me with my situations? The answer is yes, he can. God is sure. But then the other one is I'm not equipped. I'm not equipped. I'm I'm not as good as the next guy down the line. I don't know enough scripture. I don't pray the right way. I don't live my life faithfully. How could God ever use me? I've just done too many things in the past that should just disqualify me for anything I could ever do in the future. But God is sure to equip the call. Verses 14 through 16, read with me. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, How can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. You shall strike the Midianites as one man. Doesn't this sound awfully familiar to the conversation that Moses had with God before he was to lead the people out of Egypt? Remember, he said, how can I go and lead a people? I can't speak eloquently. I'm the wrong man. You're calling a man who is weak, who cannot stand before people and boldly speak. How am I to lead these people out of Egypt instead of submitting his limitations to the Lord who alone can provide for us limitless opportunities? Moses chooses to remain limited by focusing on his own weaknesses rather than setting his sights on the power of God. Right now, are you limited because you are refusing to submit your limitations to God and letting him work powerfully through you. Gideon says, please, Lord, how can I? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. If you remember when they divided up the territory, Manasseh kind of got gypped. They, they were on one side of the Jordan and the other side of the Jordan. So they didn't have the best property. I mean, yeah, they were by the river, but yet they were considered one of the least. And, and that's how Gideon saw it. And he says, not only do I come from one of the weakest tribes, but I am the weakest of my family. Like you could not have picked a less qualified person than to go against Midian and destroy them. I think you have the wrong man, God. 
He didn't feel equipped. He didn't feel ready. He didn't feel prepared. I think this stalls us many times from going and doing the work of the Lord because we feel like maybe we need a little bit more time. I talk to people about sharing the gospel and they say, I just don't know enough uh, to share. Share with them what you know. Share with them about how Jesus has changed your life. Begin there. And then continue to grow in the gospel and continue to share what you are learning. God will equip you. God will prepare you to go and to speak. But did you pick up on what Gideon was doing when the angel of the Lord came to him? Was he sharpening his sword? Uh, Was he drawing out a military strategy against his enemies? Or was he knocking out a thousand push-ups for the day? What was Gideon doing? He was hiding in a wine press, beating out wheat. Now, those two don't really go together. If you were to beat out wheat, you would do it out in the open. You would throw up the wheat, the chaff would blow away, the good wheat would fall down, and then you would collect it. It's hard to do that in a wine press. And we're limited when we hide in our little wine presses. He's fearful. He is afraid that the Midianites are coming soon. And as they come, they're going to take all of their belongings once again. They're going to take all of their food. So he's trying to spare what little he has. And this is where God meets him. And God says, there is my warrior. There is my man. One who is weak, one who is terrified, one who is hiding in a wine press. That's the man I want. And this should be encouraging for us when we look at our limitations. But Gideon does not realize that in Yahweh's work, it does not matter what one's social position is. The authorization of Yahweh is all he needs. Having no experience with the divine presence, he cannot imagine beyond his own human resources. And so it's a case of mistaken identity for Gideon. He looks to the Lord and he says, I'm not who you think I am, God. And God looks back to him and says, well, I'm not who you think I am. Do we do that with God? God, I'm just not... I'm just not the man for this job. I'm just not the woman to carry out this mission. But then you look back to God and and God is saying, I don't think you know who I am because what's most important is I will be with you. That's the encouragement. That's the recommendation right here. That's what qualifies him. I will be with you. That's why you're going. That's why I'm calling you. Yes, you're hiding in a wine press. You're pretty weak. Yes, you are pretty frail. If we're just going to look at you without me, yeah, you can't do it. Midian will destroy you immediately. But I will be with you. As Gideon will find out, it does not matter how well you can speak, how trained you are for battle, or how skilled you are at problem solving, if God is not with you. So on the other end of this, maybe you're relying uh, too much on your talents, too much on your gifts, and you're not recognizing that it's God who has blessed you with these gifts. Maybe you have strength. Maybe you have recognition. Maybe you are a truly gifted leader, and it comes easy for you to lead people and lead out in the community, but yet you're not doing this in the strength of the Lord. And If we're leading out this way, we should be concerned because we will fall flat. 
We will fall short if we are not doing this by recognizing that God is the one who leads us. God is the one who has sustained us. God is the one who equips us. So God is sure to equip the called. And then number three, God is sure to bring us peace. So you're saying, okay, God is relevant for today and God will equip us, but I just don't have peace. I don't have peace about this. There's turmoil in my soul. Times are turbulent. I just need peace. Where can I get this? God is sure to bring us peace. Without reading it, let me just break down verses 17 through 24. Gideon says, I have found favor in your eyes. Then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. So Gideon went to prepare a meal for the angel of God. And he prepared a young goat, unleavened cakes and broth. And he brought them back and the angel commanded him to place the food on a rock. And the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff and set the rock on fire, consuming the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. So thank you for bringing me food. I'm going to nuke your food. And then it goes up in flames and then angels out, gone. Then Gideon was filled with fear as the realization set in that he was speaking to an angel of the Lord face to face. He was afraid because it's speaking to the angel of the Lord face to face. And, and we could refer to this as a Christophany. This is a, a Christ appearing in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord that he's seen him face to face that he's thinking, I'm gonna die now. I've seen the Holy One, I'm gonna die. He was filled with fear, but the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace, which translated means the Lord is on friendly terms with me. Are you on friendly terms with the Lord at this time? Or have you been more concerned about being on friendly terms with everyone else and everything else in life? But what's most important is, are you on friendly terms with the Lord? Gideon was terrified that he was not on friendly terms with the Lord and that because of this, the wrath of God was gonna come against him and destroy him on the spot. Because of our sin, we should be destroyed on the spot. Anytime we commit sin, boom, we should be done away with. But by the grace of God, we can be on friendly terms with him. And this is what Gideon experiences as we too experience this when we enter into salvation with Jesus, being friends with God. So he says, I bring you peace. So the devouring fire had an important function in the Lord's developing relationship with Gideon. Here are a few things that we see. One, it provided the requested sign in verse 17 that Gideon asked for. Then it communicated his acceptance of Gideon. It demonstrated his supernatural power and it proved that his miraculous deeds were not something restricted to Israel's distant past. All of these things were confirmed in this fire. When we are unsure about God, then we will lack the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Let me say it again. When we are unsure about God, then we will lack the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. God had not come down to kill Gideon. He came to bring him peace. What about your life before God? Do you have peace with God today? Are you on friendly terms with God? Or are you walking through life 
fearful that God will just strike you down for the things that you're doing in your life. Some of you may hear that and go, that's kind of ridiculous to think that somebody would live their life like that. But when the reality of God comes into our minds and into our lives, we can experience this very thing that once God, once we're aware that God is looking in on our lives, we become fearful that he's going to judge us right then and there for the things that we have done. And that no way could we have peace with God through the things that we have done. But by his grace, he comes down and he provides us peace. And, and he has done this through Jesus Christ. Christ has come. The Prince of Peace has come. And what he did for us on the cross establishes peace between us and God the Father. And it is Jesus who is in the middle and brings us to God in a relationship. And this is your hope, looking to Christ and his righteousness, that it has been fulfilled, the work of God has been done, and that we can have peace with God. So whatever we're doing in our lives, we can fully and freely repent before the Lord and walk in peace. So God is sure to bring us peace. And you may be thinking, I want this peace, but I'm just not familiar with God. And I don't say that is for those of you who are in the room that are not Christians. Obviously, if you're, if you're not a Christian, if you're not following Jesus, then yeah, you're, you're not familiar with God. And and our hope and desire is that you will be familiar with God, that you will trust that he is sure and that you'll put your faith and trust in what he has accomplished and done what nobody else has done. But I'm also talking to Christians that if we're honest, we say, I, I believe I do have a relationship with God, but I'm just, I'm just not familiar with him. I feel so distant from God. I feel like even when I read the Bible that nothing's happening. I feel like when I pray, it's just hitting the ceiling and coming back down. I feel like when I go and, and, and try to have a conversation about Jesus, I just get stumped and, and fumble all over myself. I don't, I don't know how to speak about God. I'm, I'm just not very familiar with him. And it could be that we're not familiar with God because we're far too familiar with our idols. And these need to be addressed and these need to be mentioned often. And, and, and can I just pause for a minute and say how thankful I am when, when Clint and this team up here leads us in a time of confession. You know, that may be different than a lot of Baptist churches that you go to. Um, and in fact, if, if, if we're not careful, we could get stuck in a rut of where uh, we're encouraged to, hey, start high with music, get everybody excited and nothing wrong with being excited. We want to come in and we want to rejoice. And there are times to do that and then bring it down all the way until the presentation of the message. And, and, and that's not bad, but we can get stuck in that same rut every week if we're not careful. And I'm grateful that we have weeks where we come together and we say, hey, let's just collectively confess our sins before the Lord. And when we're confessing our sins, we're also admitting that we have idols. We have things in our lives that we have crafted with our hands, our imagination, and we worship them. And in the same way, this, this was the case for Gideon. And you say, well, I haven't seen any mention of idols, but as we continue to read in verse 25, we see them. Number four, God is sure to save us from our idols. So if we're not familiar with God, it could be that we're far too familiar with our idols in life. 
And so let's see in verse 25, that night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering and the wood of Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took men of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. And when the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down and the Asherah beside it was cut down and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, bring your son that he may die for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. Verse 31, we see the grace of God. But Joash said to all who stood against him, will you contend for Baal? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a God, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. Therefore on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbabel. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. Now that's a meaty little passage there, but let's take a few things from it. One, Gideon says, I will do this work at night. I will tear down Baal. I will tear down Asherah at nighttime. Is that kind of similar to when Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night in John chapter three, questioning his authority? He comes at night. He's wanting to think that Jesus is more than just a teacher. And yet he did not want to be seen. And yet it would be later that Nicodemus would put his faith and trust in the Lord and that he would be a light of the world to be seen by all proclaiming the name of Jesus. And here Gideon does this by night. Yes, Lord, I will do this, but I'm going to do it in secret so that nobody will know that it's me. And the next day God exposes him. We don't know how they found out that it was Gideon, but they knew immediately that it was Gideon. Didn't take very long. It happened in the same day. But he was most afraid of his family. He was most afraid of his dad, that his dad would bring him out in the middle of everyone and say, let's stone him. Let's kill him for taking down our idols. The command was this. You are to tear down one altar and you're to build up another. I am sure of this, Gideon. God is sure when he gives this command to Gideon. God is sure to save us from our idols. I'll remind you that Baal was a God that was crafted, put together for agricultural needs. So when the rain came, they praised Baal. When the crops were good, they praised Baal. If the crops weren't good, then Baal was mad at them. And then Asherah was a goddess that was put together that met the needs of sensuality. In fact, it was a wooden statue with exaggerated sexual features. And there they were in the middle of the camp of Manasseh. And Gideon takes a bull and he tears down Baal. He cuts down Asherah and there they are fallen. And so how did it get this way? Well, obviously Joash was a pretty important figure in the midst of the camp. And through the questioning of Gideon, we see that he does have some knowledge of the Exodus. 
And so as Father Joash taught his children about the Exodus and how the Lord rescued their forefathers, but he also integrated Bel and Asherah into the family devotion time. So it wasn't just that there's Yahweh, but that there are other gods too. Let's just bring these in collectively together. Let me teach you all of these things. And as we said, when we try to combine together Yahweh with other gods, we end up pushing God out of the way. And so combining other man-made gods with the sovereign God never works. We will always divide our attention and end up forsaking God. And so ask yourself, do I presently have idols in my life that I am worshiping? Can you think of idols in your life that you're worshiping? Maybe, maybe you need some help on this. You're saying, hey, help me to whittle this down. Okay, who or what controls your time? How do you spend your time? Who controls your time? What does it look like during the week? What all types of things do you do with your time? What about your talents, your gifts, your strengths? How, what do you spend those on? And then what about your money? What about the money that you receive? What do, what do you do with your money? Do you, do you have money left over? Do you give money to the local church? Are you faithful to say that all that I have is God's? Or do you say, no, it's not all God's. Who is God to say that my money is his? And so obviously, if, if you're struggling in one of these areas, you can begin to pinpoint where you may have idols. But then you can also whittle it down this way when it comes to, are you worshiping God? Do you read the Bible throughout the week? Is the Bible something that you constantly go to to read so that you can grow in your understanding of God? Not so that you can check off the list and feel better that you um, knocked out the reading for the day as you read through the Bible, which can be a great thing. But that you're reading so that you can grow in your understanding of the one who has set you free, the one who has brought you into his family, the one who loves you and has made you his very own, and you want to continue to grow in this relationship. So... Do you read the Bible throughout the week? Or do you feel comfortable opening up the Bible and reading it with your family? Do you feel comfortable reading the Bible with your spouse? Do you feel comfortable praying with your family? Do you feel comfortable praying with your spouse? And quickly, although you may not say this out loud, but quickly it hits your heart and you go, oh, no, I'm not doing those things. I'm not. And if we're honest about that, we can take it before the Lord and we can submit these things, our limitations and say, I am weak in these areas. Make me strong. But what idols need to be torn down in, in and around our homes? Because it's both and we got to tear down our idols and we build up this altar, meaning that we today look to Christ. It could be an overemphasis on sports. You say, Brian, that one's easy. I know it's far too easy, but it needs to be mentioned because we do. We, we have an overemphasis on sports. Is sports ruling your family? Let me put it this way. When you look at your, your week and you say, okay, what are we going to do this week? Do you start with sports and you put it in all its calendar days and then you say, okay, everything else is going to revolve around this. Now, listen, I, um, I was raised in a sports home. I get it. I understand that if you join a team, you need to be faithful to that team and be a good testimony. I've heard it all, but listen, we can take sports too far and we can center our life on the sport or sports. We can, we can have to play everything. 
that we have no time for anything else. And you go, but we have to do this because this is what kids do. Listen, are you taking sports and are you integrating it with God? Meaning, are you putting sports right there on the pedestal as, as you worship God? It's a both and instead of that being submitted unto God. But not only sports, but academics. We can push hard in academics. And all you do is, is press on academics or entertainment or work or pets. That's right. Cute little dogs. How do you know if your dog is an idol in your life? Well, everybody knows that if you kiss your dog on the mouth. All right. If you kiss your dog on the mouth, your dog is an idol. And that's disgusting. All right. How could you say that about Pookie? Come on. You know, I'm kidding, but kind of not. <laughs> but, but we can even take pets and we can make them our idols. And, and you say, Brian, are you saying that we just can't have nice things? Are you saying that we can't have things that are comforting? I mean, look, you can have all of these things and you can do all of these things well, but it's when you do all of these things without God. It's when you press in on all of these things as must-haves to bring you fulfillment and joy and satisfaction, and yet God is nowhere on the radar. And so we bring all of these things in the subjection of Christ, and so we must remember that God is sure to save us from our idols. Because really, some of these things I mentioned, you say, it's easy that you mention that. It is awfully hard to overcome. Maybe there's something in your life right now that you are struggling mightily with and you do a very good job of hiding it. But yet inside, you, you really don't know that if you were to cut it out of your life, what your life would look like. You don't know how you would function. It terrifies you. God will save you from your idols. So tear down the one altar and build up another. Die to self, take up your cross daily and follow Christ as we see in Luke 9, 23. So how do we abolish our idols? You're saying, I'll, okay, I, I want to abolish my idols. What do I do? What process, what steps do I need to go through? It begins by knowing God, by knowing God. John 17, three, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It begins by knowing God. That is eternal life, knowing God. And so do you know God? And are you growing in your knowledge of who God is according to his word? Because as you begin to consume more and more of his word and you memorize it and you meditate on it and it just begins, continues to revolve in you and then you think on it and then you speak it and you think on it and you speak it and you read it, all of a sudden you begin to grow in your understanding of who God is. And you say, I wish I could know God. I wish I could just have a mind like that. I wish I could be so smart. It's written in his pages right here. For us, he has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can read and we can understand. And you say, how do I know God? You look to Jesus. How do I look to Jesus? You look to his word. How do I look to his word? You open up the Bible and read. Then you say, I do not have time. I just do not have time to do these things. And is it because you have given the rest of your time to your idols? Because... If you really want to whittle it down and know if you have idols in your life, if you say you do not have time to worship God who made you, who redeemed your life from the pit and set your life on a rock and put praises in your mouth so that you could glorify him, 
so that you have an eternity with him. The one that you were separated from, you're no longer separated because Christ has brought you into a relationship with him. And you say, I have no time for this one. Then begin to think of where you're spending all your other time. Begin to put those things away. Begin to take that time and put it towards knowing God. Because in knowing God, then we cast down our idols. And so Gideon wanted to make sure that God was sure. And so lastly, we see in verse 36 through 40, read with me this account of uh, the fleece. Now, when I mention Gideon, you say, oh yes, the sign of the fleece. I'm, I'm familiar with this part of the story. Read it with me. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wood, wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, it is dry on all the ground. Then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so when he rose early the next morning to squeeze the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Paul's right there. Has that ever happened to you? You've prayed something very specific. God, if you will do this and, and I'm calling upon you and I'm asking you to do this and all of a sudden it happens in your life and you go, hmm, was that really God or was that coincidence? Was that going to happen anyway? And that's the situation here. And Gideon, he said, if, if you will allow this to happen, then I will know. And so he, he wrung out the water. But then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more, please. Let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on all the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night and it was dry on the fleece only and on all the ground there was dew. So this seems a pretty random act. Why wool? Why lying it out on, on, on the ground? Why, why, why go through all of this? What was being shown here? It's because Gideon wanted to make sure that Baal had no more influence over him. He wanted to cling to the calling of God and God's promises. By seeing a demonstration of God's sovereignty over the dew, an area supposedly under the control of Baal, Gideon could be assured that he was insulated from Baal's vengeance. So when I lay out this fleece, and you can control the dew, you can control the weather, and Bell is dead, I'll trust in you. And by God's grace, he didn't become angry with him. He said, sure, because God is sure, even when we struggle to be sure of him. There will be those moments when you put out a fleece and God provides and then you say, that's great and everything. Thank you for your provision, but could you do it one more time again just so I can be sure? This is when we say, God, just show me, give me a sign. Our greatest sign today is Jesus Christ. You see, we do have an advantage over Gideon. Gideon didn't see the full picture of Christ coming to live among us and die for us and rise for us. He didn't see that. He doesn't read back on that when he opens up the word. He was looking forward to a hope and a promise. But we look back on it and we see the full picture. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he has created the world. And in Mark 9, 24, we see a father crying out to the Lord to save his child. And he says, I believe 
help my unbelief. So in the days that we are struggling to believe, we can cry out to the Lord and say, help my unbelief. Help me, although I'm struggling to believe that you are sure. Help me, Lord. Help me to believe that you are sure, that you will provide. Are there parts of your life where you need to ask God to point you to his son so that you can trust more fully in his promises? Gideon was said to be a mighty man as he was hiding in a wine press. And we as Christians have been told that we are mighty, even though we may not feel so today. We see it in scripture. Romans 8, 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. John 16, 33. I've said these things to you that in me, you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world so we can have peace. We can be friendly terms with God because Jesus has overcome the world, which makes us more than conquerors. So if we're like Gideon and we're hiding in the wine press and we're saying, I want God to use me, but here are my limitations. Submit your limitations to God and trust in his promises and trust that God is sure. Lastly, Joash, we said he could have killed his son in the midst of the camp. In the midst of the people, when he tore down Baal, when he cut down Asherah, Gideon was afraid that his own dad was going to kill him. But instead, Joash asks the question, Bell needs you to defend him, to save him, to rescue him. If Bell is really God, let him rise up and defend himself. This is the good news of placing our faith and trust in Jesus. Because here's one thing we need to know, that God doesn't need us in order to exist. He has existed forever long before he created us. But Baal ceased to exist until people created him. There are idols in our lives that cease to exist until by our own hands we created them. Let them die. They will not resurrect. If we strive to know God, we can put these things behind us and that we can grow in our assurance of God and his promises and his calling over our lives. If Baal was real, then surely he could have resurrected himself. But someone will say, but yeah, Jesus died. And Jesus resurrected himself from the grave. And he is alive today, ruling and reigning through his church. This is how we are more than conquerors. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Christian, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Do you believe that he has overcome the world? Are you more than a conqueror? Do you believe in the promises and calling of God? To you who are here today and you do not believe in Christ, but what you have heard today, what, what can you provide for yourself? What can you do for yourself? What are you hoping in? What are you trusting in? I plead with you look to Christ. Know that he is risen from the grave. He was a God that was cut down because he gave his life as a sacrifice. He shed his blood to cover our sins, which separate us from a holy God. But yet he died and it was finished and he rose. He is alive. We do not serve a God who has been cut down forever. 
We serve a God who came down, died for us, has risen for us, and indeed will return for us. And with this, we can recognize that God is sure. So whether you are sure of him or not, God is sure. God is sure even when the time does not seem relevant. God is sure to equip the called. God is sure to bring us peace. God is sure to save us from our idols. And God is sure even when we struggle to be sure of him. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together. Thank you that we can have our assurance in you and where we struggle to believe that you are sure of how you call us, how you provide for us, how you lead us. Father, in those moments of struggle, we call out and say, help our unbelief. Help us where we think we know more than you, God. Provide for us strength, wisdom, love. Reveal to us, Lord, what are our idols? What must we cast down in order that we can be most sure of the calling in our lives? What hindrances do we have that we could set aside that we can submit before you so that we can grow in Christ Jesus. Reveal those to us today and may we take action on them, Father, by growing in our understanding of you and putting those things away. I pray for those in this room that do not know you. Draw them to yourself. God, may they call upon Christ today and be saved. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.